It's our Injury Expert Spectacular episode. And who better to have on than ESPN's Stefania Bell? Beat the Shift is next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen. And with me as always, Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Well, tonight is our injury episode. I know, Ruvain, we know that uh, you're an orthopedic PA on the show, but tonight we've got uh, a special injury guest. You might already know her uh, from ESPN, the one and only Stefania Bell. Welcome to the show, Stefania. Thanks for having me. Oh, uh, our pleasure. You know, just, just a little bit about you. Like, How did you get into fantasy and into injury reporting and all that? Well, <laughs> I'll try and keep you keep it to the Reader's Digest version. But basically, I'm I'm a physical therapist. I still keep my license. I still participate in conferences and meetings. Although I'm not, I'm working for ESPN full time, so I'm not seeing patients anymore. Um, but uh, I've always worked in orthopedics and sports, and I've played fantasy football for several years before um, before I transitioned from working as a PT to ESPN. And essentially, the, it became very clear to me that injuries were key to success in fantasy sports. And the one thing people in my league were always asking me about was injuries. And I realized that uh, information on injuries could give you an edge. And as not just knowing, um, you know, like, sourcing specific information on a player, but just understanding the nature of the injury, typically how an athlete recovers from it, uh, what might be lingering effects after an injury, things of that nature. So, you know, once I got the idea, it was a matter of trying to lobby to various fantasy entities to see if I could get um, some, generate some interest and started with a uh, um, couple small outfits, but Rotowire was picked me up pretty quickly. And really, I give them a lot of credit because it's the space they gave me to write and then to um, do their radio show. They were one of the first um, to partner with Sirius XM Radio. And uh, that got me the practice of being on the air. And I had gotten to know Matthew Barry through, it was FSTA at that time, through going to the meetings. And when he went to ESPN and was building a fantasy team. He thought I had a unique combination. There were hardly any women um, really doing fantasy sports as as a uh, as a profession. And I had this unique background looking at injuries. So uh, they took a chance on me at ESPN. I will be forever grateful for that because here I am now 13 years later. Yeah. Well, that worked out really well. Uh, I mean, Definitely a different level, but it reminds uh, uh, me of uh, me and my partner, Ruvain, here, who, uh, you know, we partner in fantasy leagues together. He's, he's the injury guy, and I agree with you 13,000% that uh, injuries are one way to extract value. I mean, uh, uh, so many questions about a player. Um, is the player right? I mean, we know there's a true skill level, but do we know if he's there because of injury? And if we had more information and we had a better sense, that's a huge edge in playing the game. Um, I wanted to start with uh, Tommy John surgery in general. Um, could you just lay down the timeline for for it, and um, not not just you know how long until a pitcher actually gets on the mound, but more importantly, 
how long until he gets back to his prior skill level? Well, <laughs> this is a, this is a great question, and there's a wide range of outcomes, just like there are for most injuries. And I think people um, in our audience who who have heard me talk about things like this at ESPN will always say, you know, it's a range. It depends on the athlete, depends on his unique history, etc. But um, given that. We know that now we're seeing, on average, a 14 to 16 month return from Tommy John surgery, return to competitive action, consistent competitive action. And for a while there, it was um, getting pushed faster and faster, like many things often do. You know, how quickly can we get someone back? We saw guys coming back in about 12 months. And I think. Um, the grand experiment of that, people felt like maybe it was a little too quick, um, saw a rash of guys having secondary injuries after they returned. And so I think the consensus in the sports medicine world is there's really not a reason to push it by a couple of months, uh, especially if it means that you're going to have not only potentially a better outcome um, from a health perspective, but maybe the guys are going to come back and be able to perform a little bit better sooner. Now that said, um, a lot of guys will tell you that they don't really feel like themselves until they've been pitching for a while. And seasonal calendar is something we talk about in sports in terms of when guys are returning. So uh, that matters because if a pitcher is coming back at the start of the baseball season, coming off Tommy John and their calendar for recovery has them working into uh, the rotation early in the season, their chance of looking more like their pre-injury self uh, is better by the latter part of that season than somebody who would come back mid-season. But most guys will say it takes them throwing and uh, you know, for a year before they really start to feel like they're throwing like they used to. And the metrics support that. We see uh, a lot of uh, up and down. It's not necessarily a linear relationship. Uh, guys can come back and look fantastic out of the gate. And then a month or two in, sometimes they'll struggle and go backwards a little bit and then come back and perform better later. But there, there seems to be a feeling out period of getting used to their new arm. Um, and I, I remember talking to Adam Wainwright one year at spring training. And he said that when he first started, it felt like it wasn't really his arm, you know, and, and guys will say this, like they feel a little detached from this arm because it's, it's new and they have never taken this much time off throwing until they have ha have this type of injury and they have this lengthy recovery. And, and they have to relearn the motor pattern and they have to get used to the feeling of this new graft in their elbow. So that takes some time. Yeah. And, and would you say that um, it's not just the time, it's also the competitive play more? I mean, you mentioned a little bit in, in your answer there, but how, how big a deal is it getting the work in rather than just coming solid the following year and, and coming right back? Oh, it, it you can't replicate game conditions outside of game conditions. So right. it's important for them to have competition. We say this with any injury. You know, the final phase of rehab is actually when you return to competition. And even for in baseball, they can return to competition, but 
as as you know, competition at the minor league level or, you know, when they're on assignment, for example, if they're working their way to come back up, it's not the same. It doesn't generate the same right. adrenaline. It's not the same feeling and it's not the same level of competition. So until they're actually able to engage in that, they're really not re- returned to pre-injury level and just in terms of the work that they're required to do and then to be able to perform consistently at that level that takes additional time right Uh, Ruben anything to add to to that general analysis yeah I think she nailed it pretty pretty well there are a couple of things I want to give some actual support for what what, what Stefania just said Everyone always thinks Tommy John is 10 to 12, uh, 12 months, everything for a year, and that's it. But that is completely incorrect because starting from February 1st, 2018 until today, there have been 250 major league pitchers or from actually from single A to major leagues who had Tommy John surgery. The average recovery time is about 16 months. I'm going to give you some examples of how long some pitchers took. Johnny Cueto, Brent Suter, Anthony Banda, 13 months. Carlos Rodon, Denelson Lamette, 14 months. Jordan Montgomery, A.J. Puck, 15 months. Corey Knable, Michael Fulmer, Drew Smith, 16 months. Dane Dunning, Taiwan Walker, Chad Cool, 17 months. So everyone is basically on their own schedule. You can't say, okay, this person is scheduled for Tommy's on surgery. He's going to be out at a certain period of time, and that's it. That's, it's, it's not, there's no one set rule. And now there's actually a new, a relatively new procedure called an internal brace, which is something that Reese Hoskins had recently. Um, it's been going on for a couple of years. Rich Hill had it done. He was only out for 10 months. Jesse Hahn had it. He was out for 13 months. Danny Santana had it in September of last year, and Reese Hoskins had it in October of last year. And they're saying that Reese Hoskins is on schedule to be able to play when the season starts. But that would be extremely quick. That's talking about eight months, and that's very, very hard to do. Yes, it's possible for someone to have Tommy John's, regular Tommy John surgery to come back in eight months, but they're not going to be themselves. Just look at Aaron Hicks. He actually said he, he had surgery, and he said that he never felt the same when he, uh, through the year when he came back. You need the repetition. You need to have that, that, that um, the major league um, playing to get, you know, get your body going and see exactly what you have after the surgery. Actually, um, yeah, I want to talk about that internal brace a little bit. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, it was a friend of mine who pioneered that, um, Dr. Jeff Dugas down in Birmingham, Alabama. I remember when he had patient, he called him patient zero. And he was telling me, I think I'm on to something, but it's got, we're going to have to wait and see. And, and it was a long time before um, it, it ever made its way to any professional athletes. Um, and, and part of that is because it has to be the right candidate. Uh, that's a really critical component of who gets selected for a, a UCL repair. Essentially, it's a repair of the ligament tear as opposed to a reconstruction where you bring in a graft. So they're repairing the ligament back down to the bone, which means that it typically um, is really only suited for guys who tear at one end of the ligament, such as the ligament avulses or pulls off the end of the bone, as opposed to what we see with a lot of guys who are more senior in terms of their elbow history, who have uh, degenerative ligament. The ligaments uh, become frayed, damaged over time, tears in the middle, and that's not going to be amenable to repair. But these pops where the ligament itself is healthy, but it has pulled away from the bone, uh, they're able to anchor it back down, and then reinforce it with the synthetic tape, which is what constitutes the internal brace. And 
you know, really the first guys that he tried it on were guys who they were young high school or college age pitchers who are maybe trying to get through their last year of eligibility. Uh, if they didn't have it repaired, they were not going to be able to finish out their final year. In other words, they, they weren't looking at future prospects in baseball. They were just trying to have that last season. So they were good first candidates because if the repair failed, they ultimately wouldn't have been any worse off than they would have been already. Um, and after they saw a pattern of success uh, with, again, choosing the right candidate and doing the procedure, uh, it started, you know, word starts getting out as, as it does. And it, there were some um, pros who became good candidates for this. And, and uh, Rich Hill, as you mentioned, was, was one. And Rich Hill was really the first professional um, pitcher to have this and return to his prior level of competition, meaning he would return to pitch in the majors. Now, the thing about Reese Hoskins is he's a first baseman. So um, although it sounds quick, it's actually less demand for him than as a pitcher. And uh, it's, it's actually well within the timeline for this. And they've actually found that the thing they have to watch with these guys is holding them back because they feel so good. And if you imagine, you're not harvesting a graft. It's a lot less complicated than a reconstruction. The recovery is much smoother. So I think he's going to be a really interesting one to watch. And you will see this procedure come about more, but it's important to explain all this because people, you know, you, you can see people saying, oh, well, this is going to be great. Just replace Tommy John. But it's really not meant for that. It really has to fit with the right candidate. Wow. This is something that I've never heard before, and uh, so glad. And, and uh, you've heard it first here on the Beat the Shift podcast, everyone. Um, uh, d d uh, when when they have this kind of uh, uh, surgery, is this something that's known to the public very easily? Because uh, I just hear, you know. No. For, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> because actually, when I was doing my prep for the, the season, um, you know, if you look, it's widely reported that Reese Hoskins had Tommy John. Right. right. And, and, and you have to, um, I will give credit to Jim. Jim Salisbury of NBC Sports, who actually reported this and, and talked about, you know, Steve Cohen, uh, the team doc for the Phillies, who uh, did the internal brace repair. And I actually know some folks who are doing it. But again, not not every surgeon is doing it because not every surgeon is comfortable. Um, they usually have consultation. You know, they're talking about making sure that it's the right candidate. And the conversation with the athlete going in is, look, you look like the right candidate for this and they explain to them you know what, what we just talked about and why they would opt to do it but they say but if we get in there and things don't look you know like if, if if you need a reconstruction because this suddenly doesn't look like what we think we're going to see based on the imaging we have etc then we may need to do a full-blown reconstruction so you know guys tell me i talked to rich hill quite a bit um last year when they were just getting ready to start the season and he wasn't he wasn't ready to be in competition yet but he was almost there and uh you know the thing when they wake up is like okay what do, what did we have done because they know that the potential to come back sooner is, <laughs> right. is there if they had the internal brace but um the success with the procedure is remarkable but um as i said uh, dr dugas would emphasize and i think you see, based on the people who are doing the procedure, 
They are guys who uh, treat a lot of baseball players. You know, this is not something um, for somebody to do who's just like, oh, I'm going to try this. Uh, Because then you'll see the data skew. And and it's important. Um, That's why choosing the right uh, candidates is so critical to the to actually having success with this. And from a and from a fantasy perspective, from a fantasy perspective, if you hear a pitcher is going for a second opinion, it's not that they may not not need Tommy John surgery. They may need may they talk about other types of treatment they can try. Meaning they could try the Tommy John, or they can try this internal bracing, or they can try PRP injections. There are many different things that they can try, but they always want to get a second opinion to make sure they make the correct decision because these decisions can cost players millions of dollars. So they have to make the right decision for themselves, for their family. They have to make them the, the correct decision for the organization. The organization usually should be on board with this as well. And when it comes to fantasy, when you hear someone's going for second opinion, that's usually a very, very bright red flag, thinking that, okay, they, they were told something, they don't like it that much, and they're trying to get a second opinion, thinking, okay, maybe I can, instead of being out 16 to 18 months, I can be out uh, 10 to 14 months, something like that. I would say though, I, I, I do, I, I would follow that by saying that when you get to the elite um, orthopedists who work in baseball, who do the procedures, because really uh, it's a small number and they're, they're pretty collegial. It's not uncommon for guys to get two or even three opinions because it, number one, it's supported by, um, you know, the, uh, the CBA. Um, so, uh, you know, team can have their opinion, player can seek another. And if they want a third opinion, it's somebody that's mutually agreed upon by the two parties. It's also really well supported by the physicians. Like they actually encourage it because if I imagine if a guy goes and hears the same thing three times, he may still come back to the first guy to get whatever the treatment approach is. But um, think about how much time they're potentially missing uh, with a major injury. And so it's actually smart to get multiple opinions. Um, So I I don't think it's, I don't think it's always a bad thing. It may signal that it's something serious, but I don't think the act of seeking multiple opinions is a bad thing. And these guys tend to, um, they may have different approaches in terms of the procedure. For example, the way uh, Dr. David Alchek operates on someone is slightly different than the way that Dr. Neil Elitrash does in LA. But essentially, they both have great outcomes and they've seen tons of baseball players. So um, it, it, it's, it's interesting that the perception is sometimes worse or, you know, oh, this is terrible. They must be really, they must really not, uh, you know, they didn't like the guy they saw first. And that's not always the case. Right. There are three uh, pitchers, big-name pitchers, that are due to come back from Tommy John surgery this year. Chris Sale, Noah Syndergaard, Luis Severino. Most projections have them at about 75 to 85 innings pitched. Um, question to you, Stefania, is you know what are the timetables between those three guys? Uh, are there any ones who are faster or slower to come back? And do you think that the 75 to 85 innings pitched is a fair number? Is it too high? Uh, is it very too high? Um, because currently, if we're doing the math of playing fantasy baseball, people are paying last, second-to-last, third-round picks to get a Noah Syndergaard, but projections having them in half a season almost, it's a pretty good bargain to, to pick up for an elite player. Do you think that uh, people are wise not to pick them up? And what's your general take on the three players? 
it's a little all over the map. Um, and, and Senator, I think one of the things I look at is what are, where are they in their throwing program? What's going on? And the fact that he was just cleared to throw breaking pitches, like that tells you something. He's doing well, you know, in, in addition to throwing fastballs, he's now moving into breaking pitches. And that's a progression. That's an advancement of your throwing program. And so he looks pretty good to be on track for coming back in June. You know, they moved him to the 60 IL, no, no surprise. Um, but I think he's in a really good position. Now, again, people need to remember, you can always have setbacks. And sometimes those setbacks don't happen until they're starting to pitch in a game. And, and by a setback, that could be something as minor as developing a little bit of soreness Again, because you're doing an activity you haven't done in, in a year or, or longer, usually, um, it's not the end of the world. It, it doesn't necessarily mean a negative thing, but they're going to pull a player back if they start to get uncomfortable or, or what have you. And it doesn't even have to be the elbow. It could be something else. It could be something in their shoulder. And so they, they will scale them back. But as of right now, Syndergaard looks to me like he's going to offer the most um, – bang for the buck in fantasy because he has the earliest target. Chris Sale, who had surgery not far removed from the time that Syndergaard did, um, had some neck stiffness that actually pushed him back again. Like I said, it doesn't have to be the elbow. Um, nothing major, but nonetheless, they're going to be very smart with him. So, you know, he's still throwing on flat ground. That's very different than what Syndergaard is doing. Um, and and I think the last I heard what uh, Alex Cora was hinting at was, you know, late summer, I think were the words they used, which I don't know what that means in baseball. You know, <laughs> does that mean like August or does that mean the end of September? But to me, I think what they are probably looking at at this point is it'd be nice to get Chris Sale back into competition. And hey, if they're making a run for it, Maybe he's somebody who's available late in the year, but for fantasy purposes, I certainly wouldn't be counting on him because they're going to protect him. And then Severino, I, I, I feel the same way. You know, they're, they're talking about him coming back um, a little bit later in the, in the year. He's getting ready to start throwing off a mound, but he hasn't been throwing off a mound yet. Um, so he's a little bit behind, but remember he had multiple injuries over the last three years. So Again, there's, they're going to be careful with him and his recovery. And I, I think the one you can look at as being the closest to being productive is Syndergaard. Right. And, and Ruvain, um, you know, just a little, little bit of follow-up on that. Um, you know, how close is Noah Syndergaard going to be to his usual level throughout the season? Is it worth, if you're in the NFBC in a 15-team league, to uh, have a spot for him, being that in the NFBC there's only seven bench spots, no IL? Uh, is, is that a worthwhile spot to uh, roster? Um, I'm I'm very questioned that because the fact that the IL the, the bench was in an NFPC with 15 teams, but it's only seven people on the bench. Uh, Noah Syndergaard is not going to be back at least until June, so it's at least two months that you're going to have a dead spot on your roster. Now, if he comes back in June, that's great. But a lot of times, after players 
come back from this type of injury, the thing that doesn't come back to them right away is velocity and is command. So if, if he can if he can harness those two things early on, then 100% he's worth rostering because he will probably, he may not be throwing 100 miles an hour right away. Now, there's there are exceptions to the rule that it takes some time for players to throw 100 miles an hour. It was, I think it was you Darvish, not you Darvish, um, um, Shoei Otani. He, he just said this past week that he was throwing 100 miles an hour uh, in, uh, in, a, in a bullpen session. So that's great for him. But look how far along he is in his recovery. Syndergaard, I think he's going to be the first one back. You'll probably get, the, just like Stefania said, she hit it on the nail, you'll probably get the most out of Syndergaard. Whether it's going to be the Syndergaard before the surgery or after the surgery, it's going to be completely up to how he progresses and how he's able to get his velocity back up with repetition and how he's able to see how he control how he gets his control. As for Chris Sale, again, Stefania hit it on the head toward the end of the season. I'm, I'm thinking even July, end of July, beginning of August, or even the end of August. That's what it sounds like. I think Severino is probably going to come back sooner because Severino is, Severino is supposed to throw off the mound in about two weeks. Um, and he did have Tommy John before Chris Sale and Syndergaard, but because of his multiple injuries, he will take longer. So of all the players you'll probably get the most fantasy value from Noah Syndergaard, but from where he's going right now in drafts, I don't think he's worth it unless you can find someone who's going to replace him, who's going to fill in that hole for those two months. Uh, quickly about uh, two more players, Jordan Hicks, Michael Kopech. These are two players with a little bit more time since their surgery. Jordan Hicks, we know, throws those crazy 101-mile-an-hour pitches. Kopech uh, was back but opted out for last season entirely. Um, are, are we uh, to expect something good out of these two players? Can Jordan Hicks become the closer in St. Louis, which is a pretty big fantasy question. He was the man before his injury. What, what do you think, Stefania? Yeah, I think, you know, the extra time is their friend, right? Um, and he, uh, he, he also probably made a good decision, uh, Jordan Hicks did, to uh, not pitch last year, um, being a type 1 diabetic. You know, there are other, other um, reasons to hold out for 2020. Um, but since he had his surgery in June of 2019, he's approaching the two-year mark. And I think, um, you know, they've already said that he looked good in his early throwing and he, it was very positive for him. But as we talked about in the beginning, when they get to competition, yeah. sometimes things change. So, uh, you know, stay tuned right. for that. And same with Kopech. Um, it's really about, you know, he's a little different in terms of his style and, and being a little bit all over the place. And they may want to just watch how he does when he's um, <clears throat> when he's facing live hitters to see what they what they think in terms of how they utilize him. But again, time in terms of the healing and the recovery for him is his friend. So, question about if you're in, let's say you're in season and you hear that your pitcher has a fantasy in fantasy has an elbow strain. I know you're a fantasy player. Um, what do you do with that information? Somebody <laughs> has a, an elbow strain, goes on the IL. You know, uh, he's on there for a couple days for sure. How long do you hold this person until you drop them before you hear the actual information about surgery, right? The question is what to do with these players that you don't have a definitive idea about their prognosis. Yeah, it's tough, right? Because <laughs> um, if I hear something like elbow strain is such a garbage term, it doesn't really tell you anything about what's going on. Some teams are more revealing than others. It's just like, you know, in every sport we see this, some are more forthcoming with information than others. Sometimes 
I appreciate that they're holding out because they want the player to get the opinions and the information he deserves before they go public with it. So I, I understand that. I don't have a problem with it. It's when it's never updated. It's just sort of left like this generic uh, term that really doesn't mean anything because a strain, you know, is a muscle or a tendon, but uh, a sprain is a ligament. So sometimes there's a little hint depending on which term they use, but they don't always use them correctly. So you can't rely too much on that. I, If I'm a fantasy player, what I tell people all the time is for any injury, just try and dig for the details, whoever's got them. If there's a beat writer who's reporting um, whatever the details or nuances are that they can get from the team or the player. Because for example, in the elbow, if you find out that a guy has medial elbow pain versus lateral, so the inner side of the elbow versus the outside of the elbow, I'm way more concerned about the inner aspect of the elbow, which is where the um, ulnar collateral ligament is, uh, and the flexor tendon, both of which can be problematic. They're both subject to the stress from throwing. Um, when guys have flexor tendon injuries, it's often a precursor uh, to an, an UCL tear. Um, and it's reflecting that there's stress on the medial side of the elbow. But the lateral side of the elbow, usually it is a, a tendonitis. Sometimes it's a grip thing. Guys who are gripping too tight um, for whatever reason um, start to develop a strain there in their extensor mechanism. It, that's not necessarily as bad. And sometimes uh, you'll also see guys who are complaining of pain on the back side of the elbow, you know, right, right, right where the elbow joint is on the back side. And guys who've pitched for a long time, develop spurs, things like that. Uh, you hear about guys getting scopes to get a bone spur out or get debris out of the joint. That's not uncommon for a pitcher. Over time, you're going to have a little bit of wear and tear. Those things don't alarm me nearly as much. So any details you can listen for or seek out in the reporting can help you be a little more astute about how concerned you should be and what kind of moves you should make in fantasy. And I actually want to add on to that. Um, another thing you should listen out for is what type of treatment they're recommending. Are they recommending six six weeks rest? Are they recommending a PRP injection? Uh, what a P, for people who don't know what a PRP injection is, for the for the layman's terms, they actually take your blood, they spin it down, they take out the good stuff, and they insert it right back into the tendon area in the hopes that it will help strengthen the tendon and make it strong again so they can try to avoid any type of surgery. If you hear that... That's actually a good thing because that means they're trying to do everything they can and hopefully they can try to avoid any type of surgical procedure. Now, a couple of guys who have injured their UCL, whether it's a sprain or a strain, that, that's the terms, that's the terminology, even though it's used incorrectly, that's, that's the terminology that's out there. A couple of players who we know who are playing right now have had PRP injections and they're playing perfectly fine. To, to list a few, Griffin Canning. Tommy Pham, Anthony Santander, Seth Lugo prior to his surgery to remove bone chips in his elbow, Keston Hura, Aaron Nola, Michael Lorenzen, and Masahiro Tanaka also, he had that. Um, and they all were able to play with just having a PRP injection and resting for a couple of months. So, you know, if you key on to what they're saying, you can also get a hint as to how long they're going to be out for. I want to talk a little bit about COVID and the 2020 short season. Um, but first, let's do the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, 
Well, we're going to be talking about how COVID affected the season last year. And one of the things that everyone's talking about is how many 200-inning pitchers there will be this coming year. So my trivia question for this week is, last year, only three pitchers threw 80 or more innings. Who were they? I, I know the answer to this already. <laughs> the answer is Lance Lynn. Herman Marquez, yes, a Colorado pitcher, and Kyle Hendrick. Now, all these three pitchers have something in common. They have already had a season in which they have thrown 195 innings or more. So all these guys have the possibility of being able to get to that 200-inning level, which is what we're going to talk about right now, because in 2019, 321 pitchers went on the aisle over the course of the season who's thrown at least 10 innings. That's 49.7% of all pitchers. In 2019, only 15 pitchers threw 200 innings, 39 threw 175 innings, and 68 threw more than 158, 150 innings. And the same idea in 2018, only 12 pitchers threw 200 innings. So we're coming off of, an, of this half a season, which is crazy to think that uh, so many people are going to be throwing so many innings because there are teams who are going to limit them, and we'll see. But I think there's going to be a very limited amount of pitchers who will be able to take the stress of be, or be allowed to throw more than 200 innings. According to ATC projections, uh, there are zero pitchers who are projected for more than 200 innings. Trevor Bauer leads the pack with 197, Garrett Cole 196, Shane Bieber 195. Of course, these are projections. That doesn't mean that a couple of them will pop over. But again, we're on the very conservative side here. So the question to you, Stefania, is uh, how are pitchers, are our pitchers going to ramp up to their pre-2020 levels in terms of innings pitched, in terms of their ability to pitch, and do you envision many pitchers exceeding the magic 200-inning threshold? Well, I think the answer to your first question about will they be effect able to effectively ramp up to pre-2020 is is who knows. I mean, we've never had this before. So yeah. um, you, you, there's every year we look at data, injury data. Um, there's actually been some nice uh, studies that have been done, which really look at retrospective data. And, and they're as good as they can be when you're looking at data from the outside looking in. You don't have access to the medical records uh, entry system baseball uses. But you can you can look at trends and make some projections, but we've never had what we had last year. And not only did we have a shortened season, we had a start and a stop and a restart that was short and then a weird season and then this off season and i actually think and this is just me my and my gut it's not i don't have anything because i have no comparison sure. but i think um i actually worry that we're going to see a lot more soft tissue injuries this year because guys did not have the long season uh, and now you're going from a shortened season and a really bizarre one at that to a season that as of now looks like it's going to be the regular length. And I think this is going to be really interesting. Um, I do not even know how to ballpark it in terms of your question about how many pitchers exceeding 200 innings pitch. I think that there's just, we don't have a, anything to, you know, there's no predicate. 
So, so just to dig a little bit deeper there, uh, obviously it's so hard to tell in general, but would you suspect that there are a certain class of pitchers to, to do a little bit better? Is, are veteran players who have done it before maybe a little bit more easily getting back to their level than rookie players who have not really had, uh, had the 190-200 inning levels? Uh, is it people who throw harder, who might have the, the harder time, more sliders? Is there any class of player that we can maybe think is a little bit more risky, a little bit less risky at all? I don't, I don't think by that classification, I would say so. I think, um, number one, as always, you have to look at their, you know, prior history and, and guys who maybe I might've been concerned about coming into last year, um, maybe didn't pitch enough to actually stress themselves to the point where they would break. On the other hand, uh, some of the vet, you know, the, the veteran element, I think for the veterans who, what we've seen is that there are some veterans who are starting to throw earlier in the off season. And there's starting to be some science that really might support this. It's, it's all brand new. It's not really out yet. Um, some of the unpublished data I've heard, so I can't really reference it. But certainly if you look in the training, um, you know, sports uh, uh, performance literature, if you will, there's seems to be now um, trends across every sport that injuries are perhaps less frequent in teams that take shorter breaks, um, athletes who take shorter breaks during their downtime, during their offseason. Now, it doesn't mean they're performing at competitive levels. Obviously, that would be overuse and breakdown. But the notion of the season ends and I'm just going to hang out and go on vacation and live on the beach for like three months. And then I'm going to pick up a baseball when I come back and start ramping up and stretch out my arm in a couple of weeks to play for months. Uh, maybe that may be old school and, and that may not be the best way that um, the tissue seems to respond to off season training at some level. So Get me the guys who are throwing in the offseason, um, not as hard and clearly not as frequently as they are during the season, but they're taking a shorter break and they're building themselves back up before they ever report to spring training. Now, great insight. Um, what about a couple of players uh, that, that I want to talk about that were affected by COVID? And we know Freddie Freeman had COVID, and that sure as heck didn't, uh, didn't stop him from winning an MVP award. But uh, a guy like uh, Eduardo Rodriguez missed a season, uh, not two arm injuries, but just two general COVID injuries uh, with his heart. Uh, Austin Meadows had a down year off of it. Uh, and how about some players who just opted out? We're talking about Marcus Stroman, who just didn't play at all. Lorenzo Cain on the hitting side didn't play at all. Are these guys going to get back to their prior levels right away? Do we? Is there going to be a difference between hitters and pitchers who have opted out? What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I go back to my say. I know nobody wants to hear that, right? Who knows? But if I'm being truthful, I think yeah. that's what we have to say because we've never seen anything like this. Now, Eduardo Rodriguez um, dealt with the myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle, um, which was identified as a potential um, result of COVID. And we've saw several athletes in various sports who dealt with this. Um, but it can also, we've seen it in athletes before who've had uh, the flu. Um, 
So it's not like this appeared out of nowhere. We have seen athletes who have had it um, been monitored. Obviously, the team did the right thing. He was shut down. He rested for a number of months. And the idea is to let the inflammation subside. And he made a full recovery. And he looks good. You know, everything that they're saying right now, he's on track to start the season. Um, and he should be able to proceed and resume his normal pitches. So he might be one of the ones I feel more comfortable about, especially given the fact that he's been monitored so closely uh, for this since. And we've seen other athletes come back from this before and be able to pitch um, or not necessarily pitch, but in any sport, be able to return to their pre-myocarditis level of activity. And I think for guys who opted out, you know, you, you could really make the argument on either side of the equation. You could say, well, their bodies have had this chance to really get some rest and recovery in. And for whether it was risk factors or just apprehension about being exposed to COVID for family reasons, perhaps, um, they were able to, you know, take care of that by staying away for a year. Uh, it goes back to what have they done in the interim? You know, were they maintaining conditioning? Uh, were they able to do a program that they would typically do leading up to their time to report back? Um, but then if you flip it around, you could say, well, being away from the game, you know, you're not as sharp. Uh, you're not practicing those skills from a neuromuscular perspective. You have to get back into training and conditioning. You're a little bit behind. You know, who who knows? <laughs> who knows? Right. Uh, Ruven, any thoughts to this? Yeah, I think there are a couple, two things I wanted to mention. First of all, I think it matters also on age. A couple of players who opted out who are a little on the quote-unquote older side, you're talking about David Price and Lorenzo Cain, you don't know what you're going to get as much out of them because David Price, okay, so there's less wear and tear on his on his arm, but he's also had issues with his, elbow, with his wrist before and he's had issues where he breaks down, has these minor injuries when he's playing um, those video games and everything like that. And then you have Lorenzo Cain, who actually, because he didn't play, he played five games, but he skipped his age 34 season. And a lot of people in fantasy were drafting for his speed. Now, he's getting up there. He has an extra year on him now. And the fact that he's getting older, usually people who get older tend to lose their speed. And if he's being drafted in the same areas where he was drafted last year, I think that's a mistake. Now, there are other, and I just want to mention the other players who have who did opt out out and who we didn't mention i mentioned david price mike leak opted out joe and tyson ross both opted out the brothers colin gu opted out michael kobeck and jordan hicks as we mentioned and shelby miller interesting a couple of other injury related questions and you know more about you know what do we do with information as a fantasy player uh you know you hear a lot of noise sometimes it's noise sometimes it's a signal and question is how to separate the noise from the signal um, you know, in spring training, you hear a lot of uh, a lot of things. You hear best shape of your life. Sometimes you hear real injury news early, like for example, Franmil Reyes. We just heard last week tweaked his ankle. But the question is, will an injury reported sometime in spring training really impact what we thought about him for the regular season in the year? So the question is, at what point in spring training should you be concerned with player news? And do you have any guides for what injuries to throw out as complete noise in spring training and what to really hone in as important to listen to? Yeah, again, I don't really throw them out by diagnosis. It really depends on the individual. Your your best friends are the beat writers who are covering them in spring training because a hamstring strain, which is something you'll see a lot in baseball and you see it a lot in spring training, hamstring injuries are the most um like prevalent in 
uh, the the March and April. Um, I think I think it's April is the most. There was a study that looked at when uh, Chris Hamad did it, a team physician for the Yankees. It was looking at um, hamstring strains, and I think the month where they were the most prevalent. It was either April or May, and. Uh, you know, in spring training, guys are, again, coming in who haven't run bases. They haven't done things like this in a while and come in in various levels of conditioning. Some come in ready to, like, playing shape at spring training, and some come in getting relying on spring training to get them ready. So that's why it goes down to every single player. Um, and, and a hamstring strain can be a mild thing. It can be a, a very mild strain, and the team will – back a guy off because they want to make sure that it doesn't become something problematic across the season, which I have no problem with. But other times they have a something that's a little more significant and they're trying to make it back for opening day or thereabouts. And, and then it, it, it's an off and on thing that happens throughout the course of the season because hamstring strains are the number one injury when it comes to recurrence. So um, that's one that should always be of concern. But again, you have to look at how they're handling it. Um, you mentioned Reyes with an ankle injury. Again, if you look at if you look at the player and you look at what they're doing, like how concerned are you about him with an ankle? Well, if it's mild, not a big deal. I'm not sure that that really worries me, especially this early. Not plenty of time. But a guy who has more significant ankle sprain you know, grade two, not that they're saying that, but something more moderate, or he might be on crushes, or he's not, like, that's definitely a concern for recurrence during the season. So the details of the injury uh, matter the most to me. Right. Want to do a, a couple of quick hits. Uh, we've a lot of people have responded to our mailbag today, and I uh, just want to touch on a couple of players. Uh, one of the big ones is uh, Denelson Lamette. Uh, here's a player who really had a phenomenal season last year, and if if you think that he's healthy, he is a wonderful bargain in any fantasy baseball draft this year. What is the Lamette uh, update, uh, Stefania? Is Lamette's arm going to fall off tomorrow, or could we trust on him for a good 150 innings this year? <laughs> well, yeah, those are kind of two extremes, right? <laughs> you know? yeah. There's and, a range. And, yeah, and I think that, you know, the way he throws, uh, his history, the way that he ended the season, it all makes you nervous. So I, I think he is a risk. Um, but, you know, the early reports are after throwing, he has no soreness where he is right now. But a lot of these guys, you know, when a guy ends his season on an elbow injury, this is one of the ones that I would say, you know, I worry about what's going to happen at the start of the season. And that's because we never saw if they had, if again, seasonal calendar plays comes into play here, because yeah. had it been earlier, we would have had the opportunity to see if they recovered and came back when they end the season. You don't know what they were, what they were doing for rehab or rest or whatnot. And they, and they feel great, right? They put a baseball down. They're like, I feel great. I'm better. And then they come back and they feel good initially and they get into it. And then there's a problem. So um, it makes me nervous. 
Well, the, the Nelson Lament actually had a PRP injection at the end of last year. They were actually thinking about doing a second Tommy John, but the PRP seemed to have helped after a few, this is what the quote, after just a few weeks of rest. That means that he didn't start, you know, pitching again. He had the PRP. So is he, he said he feels 100% now and he's on a, yeah. he's on a, a I schedule mean, who for doesn't Thornburg. after months, right? <laughs> but but ex exactly. He, ha he still has the issue in his arm. It's just that he thinks, they think, and the doctors think that the PRP injection did what it was supposed to do and supposedly he is ready to go now a lot is going to see we're going to see a lot during spring training if he's able to ramp it up if his velocity is there and how he's able to hand multiple innings that i think that's going to be a big key okay let's do cody bellinger uh he celebrated in the world series maybe he shouldn't have celebrated so much yeah. oh my um gosh. He, he played the next day and looked pretty good actually um uh, what's the take on Bellinger? Is he fully back to being what would be a first round player in fantasy baseball? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that one doesn't worry me as much because it was an acute injury. It was dealt with. He recovered and, you know, for the positioning plays and, and that it was fine. I mean, it was kind of a silly, I swear baseball has, baseball has the craziest stories of any sport in terms of, how guys get injured, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like I, I, I always say I could write a book about, you know, because I'll, I'll never, I mean, I pick them up all during the season, but it's crazy, you know, these freak accidents and including things like celebrating, um, you know, a championship, but it's Zach Wheeler non puts on his pants and zips it up and injury. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, then, and yeah. these guys, they're, you know, they're just like, what's that thing in like the, you know, the stars? They're just like us. I mean, you know, you have regular patients who would tell you crazy things with walking the dog, the dog pulled my arm, it dislocated. You know, that's. Do you really get that in real life? So these crazy yes. stories? Really? Yes, 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. I, I mean, people break their wrist falling over and falling over, over. They're playing Wii and they fall over and they break their ankle. I've had that multiple times. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it's great because then when you tell the stories, your people are like, no, really that happened. I'm like, yes, really that happened. So, you know, for the baseball player, they're no different. And usually the craziest injuries happen away from the field or in the case of Bellinger doing something that was not related to the game. But um, the good news is was his opposite shoulder than the one he needs to throw with. And and I expect he'll be fine. That's not a not a worry for me. Um, let's do a couple more. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, that's a big one. Uh, dynamite player. We're talking uh, huge, huge power. Um, what, what is the story with him? Are, are his legs going to hold him up? Is And also, is he going to be able to play the outfield is another question. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, you know, he had a, he had a, a weird, uh, weird year, right? Um, COVID positive, uh, missed camp in the early part of the season, and then he ended up going to the IL and having surgery, he had a scope on both knees. And the one, the issue he had on the right was he had a slight tear of his patellar tendon, which is not an insignificant injury. You know, it's one of those things where um, the procedure, you know, they, they basically clean up where you have a scar, they can repair it. Um, there's a lot of things you can do to help that tissue to heal. But it could also be something that's problematic for him going forward. Um, and when you're talking about both knees, it does, it's a tougher recovery. I mean, there's no way around it. So I don't know about playing the outfit. I, I, if, 
I would think that they would be a little bit more cautious with him early on. I'm not expecting that to be a huge priority out of the gate. Yeah, the, the, the early reports are that they're going to try him out at first base a little yeah. bit and do that mm-hmm. because I don't think running around the outfield will be, will, will be for him. But there have been players who've had bilateral knee surgery, not at the same time, but Manny Machado had surgery on both of his knees. He seems to be playing at a high level. And plus, one thing that plays into Alvarez's corner is that he's very young. So usually people who have these types of procedures, they tend to bounce back a little bit quicker and a little bit better than the older player. Yeah, I will give it, I agree with you, you know, he's young, he's 23, but he's a big dude. <laughs> like, you know, and that with the, with knees, like to me, it's a little bit different. I actually did a feature on Manny Machado. I mean, he had what's called the MPFL reconstruction. It's a ligament. He, he, he had an anatomic issue that it was going to fail. And it failed once and he had a massive, you know, massive injury. That's the one where he was stretchered. Um, off the field. It was really ugly when it happened. And then he ended up needing this, the opposite knee fixed too. And it wasn't a surprise because it was really consistent with his anatomy. But once you address that anatomical feature, and again, with him being young, as you point out, these young guys, certainly that helps them in their recovery. It was not an insignificant surgery, but I felt like once he had that addressed, he was going to be good to go at least for a while. Um, My concern here is that you know, I don't know, a scope, you know, we don't know exactly what was done with the other knee. They talk about a cleanup. You never know what that means. I mean, how does the joint look? But if they have any early arthritic changes, and it's certainly possible with him, uh, that the, the outlook is not as promising. Well, that's the issue. That's the issue with all the bigger players, like Aaron Judge. You see how hard these are. These are football players playing baseball, and it's mm-hmm. just it, it's just not Stanton. normal for them. <laughs> It's man, John Carl Stanton also all these huge guys and base, baseball is not used to this type of size of hitter getting hurt and going through these types of injuries. Yeah, right, let's do those two quick guys on the Yankees, uh, Judge and Stanton. Uh, is the broken rib uh, fixed? <laughs> is uh, Judge going to get back to uh, what he's able to do? Forty nine home runs in his rookie season, uh, and Stanton. I mean, he's one of the guys that uh, per at bat, all projections project him to be phenomenal. But just that risk of uncertainty of can he play? When can he play? Are the Yankees going to be able to put him in as an outfielder as well, which is also important? Uh, what do you take on those uh, two injury? Yankees. Yeah, I think Judge can get back. I think, you know, he's talked about sort of switching it up in terms of his uh, off-season training. They're um, bringing him in every other game to start. I think I think they're they're being sensible uh, with him after having um, some some injury concerns back to back to back, but I see, I I think he'll be good to go. Um, I'm not really as worried about him. And I I think he's addressing some of the things that were problematic. Stanton is more of a concern for me, particularly because so many of his injuries have been soft tissue in nature. I mean, aside from that awful injury he had where he got hit in the face with a baseball, um, a lot of it's hamstring, it's calf, it's uh, obliques, it's his back. I mean, it's been any number of of things that are, are soft tissue. And I think you know, I think he can play in the outfield, but I think if they want to keep him going, they're going to have to um, move him around. You know, maybe he's DH sometimes, maybe he's outfield so that you are are not uh, stressing him as much as as you maybe would have 
before. And Aaron Judge's quote this week was, it's great to be able to swing without a broken rib. So you know he was playing through pain last year, and he's he's trying to grit it out because the last year was a sprint, and they had to get to the playoffs, and they had to do well in the playoffs. And then when Luke Voigt went out with the plantar fasciitis, which sometimes zaps people's power also because the footwork is very important when you're swinging, um, when he goes down, it's more pressure on everyone else, and everyone wants to be in there. And Stanton actually finally came through in the playoffs, and he was doing well. But it's a matter of getting through the 162-game season. And so far, it, I mean, can you trust them? Yes. Do you want to take a, a, a draft pick early on in one of your fantasy drafts with him? I, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd, you'd rather want someone more, um, someone who's better than numbers and not as injury-prone as these guys. Because, yes, per at-bat, Stanton is great. But are you going to get the replacement value if he's on the I.L.? Yeah. Well, this was a fantastic episode, Stefania, uh, and I, I knew it would be. Uh, uh, as you said at the top, you know, part of being a good fantasy player and uh, is knowing the injuries, and there's a tremendous value in being able to dissect it and to divulge it and to look at the beat writers and see what they're saying and uh, extract that information uh, to your advantage. So thank you so much, and why don't you tell everybody uh, where we can uh, read your work, watch you, and uh, all things Stefania Bell. <laughs> Thanks. Well, um, I thank you very much. I really enjoyed this conversation. I love talking about this stuff. And I appreciate you inviting me on. Um, you can find me over on ESPN.com. Um, I have stuff all over right now, a uh, little bit in I've I've covered in the last few weeks. Um, Djokovic um, in the Australian Open with an abdominal injury. We got baseball spring training. I do have a piece out um for since this is a baseball podcast, looking at um, some spring training injuries to watch, and I'm going to keep updating that. So some of the players that we talked about and some that we didn't talk about are are there. And if you if you go over to ESPN.com, uh, you'll you'll find um, now some of this stuff is on ESPN Plus, and I can't tell you exactly when things are on ESPN Plus or ESPN.com, but if you go to ESPN.com or you go in the ESPN app and search for it, um, you'll you'll be able to see some things there. I'm on Twitter, it's Stefania underscore ESPN, and I will tend to link to my stuff there as well. Awesome. Uh, Ruben, why don't you plug your stuff? You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out daily updates about players and the next man up, how they're doing in their rehab and everything like that. And I also have a weekly article in season for Rotoballer, also discussing all these injuries. All right, my name is Ariel Cohen. You can find my work over at Fangraphs, at CBS Sports, and at Rotoballer. The ATC projections are up and out. There's going to be an update coming up probably by the time that this podcast hits, so check it out. Uh, you can see my projections over at Sportsline, at Fangraphs, at Rotoballer, RotoChamp, you name it, it's all over. Uh, check it out. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY and listen to me every week right here on the Beat the Shift podcast. Once again, a very special thank you for coming on the show, Stefania Bell, and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.